The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. What's up, all my BBW? It's your girl, AJ Andrews, back with another episode of Barrier Breaking Women with another Barrier Breaking Woman. I am so excited to continue talking to these amazing breaking women that I have on this podcast and talk about their mellow wins and how it is that they are achieving success, defying the odds and making history in their melanin, winning in their melanin. Before we get into this next episode, I want to talk about my mellow win for the week. It is something that I am so proud of myself. And if, if anyone deals with something similar to this, I want to say I am so proud of you for moving forward. I recently have begun suffering from high-functioning anxiety, and it all really started this past year after I got injured. During the pandemic, I ended up breaking my nose playing softball, and then on the softball field, I broke my hand and then ended up actually tearing ligaments in my other hand. And Anxiety just became something that I was living with day to day. And the reason why it's called high functioning is because it doesn't prevent me from doing things. I still move on through my day. The anxiety doesn't freeze me or stop me from moving forward. But it's something that makes me have so much self-doubt, makes me think so much. It makes me, it can make me freeze in moments. It can make me just maybe procrastinate, put things off that don't need to be put off. And just because I'm afraid of the result or afraid of what I'm going to see for really no reason, my anxiety just continued to keep getting worse and worse. And, you know, I think prior to this year, I would never consider myself as an anxious person. I would definitely say I was a procrastinator. I've always been someone that likes working well, as I say, under immense pressure. But The anxiety part of that really came into play this past year where I had so much self-doubt, felt nervous, and was always so worried about the next. And, you know, that's really where anxiety comes from, not being in the present and always thinking about what's going to happen in the future. What is what could be the result of what it is that I'm doing instead of staying focused on getting that thing done. And my mellow win for this week is persevering through that high functioning anxiety that I was really plagued with this past week. There were so many things that I wanted to do, so many things that I wanted to get done. But with self-doubt, I would end up asking my family and friends, is this okay? What do you think about this? And they would say, no, it's great. Everything looks good. And I would still think twice, three times, four times, almost to the point where I was like, oh, I'm just not going to do it. Not realizing what could come of it. You know, I think A lot of the anxiety that we have as individuals, but specifically me, came from thinking about, well, what could go wrong or what is it that people are going to think? And I changed my mentality from thinking about what could go wrong to, oh, but AJ, what could go right? What about all the amazing things that could come of this instead of thinking about all the negative things that possibly could come? And once I began to shift that mindset and just do things anyway, instead of trying to be, I was considering myself, I would say, I just want to be a perfectionist. But in reality, no, my anxiety is just making me a procrastinator, right? No one needs, it doesn't need to be perfect. And this week, I really realized that the first step to getting to whatever perfection I'm trying to aim for is starting. 
You have to start somewhere. And this week, me pushing through and persevering through that anxiety allowed me to get things done. And then once I got done, I realized that really wasn't that big of a deal. And then I also found a lot of positive results from it, which just enabled me or made me feel even more confident and comfortable with saying, this is what I need to be doing. And I need to never mind those negative thoughts, the anxiety that tries to creep in in the moments where I'm putting things out or trying to be successful or have these ideas, because at the end of that anxiety, a lot of times is nothing. (laughs) And at the end of that anxiety, the end of me wanting to get things done and me getting those things done are going to come so much success. And so that is my mellow win for this week, persevering through my high functioning anxiety and changing my mindset from what could go wrong to, oh, but think of all the things that could go right. And that is really what has enabled me and allowed me to keep winning in my melanin and keep going for greatness and to never aim for or not so much looking for perfection in the moment, but making that something that I'm pursuing every single day so that I am getting better every single day. One of my favorite things to say and that have really stick with me is when I'm thinking of my goals, think big. But when I'm thinking about progress, think small. That is something that has allowed my anxiety to really peel back and allowed me to keep moving forward toward all of my goals and successes that I plan on reaching and am currently reaching right now. And with this next episode of Fairy Breaking Woman, I am talking with the amazing Olympic gold medalist, Natasha Hastings. She is someone that has pursued and has persevered through so many different things in her life that she has faced and has overcame, whether it be not reaching her goals or almost reaching her goals to finally now preparing for the ultimate goal of the Olympics coming this summer. So excited for you guys to listen to this next episode. Keep moving forward, keep persevering, and keep mellow winning. Catch you BBWs in this next episode. All right, you guys, we are back with another episode of BBW Barrier Breaking Women. You guys know how I like my women, BBW, and that is exactly who I'm speaking with today. The amazing, amazing Barrier Breaking Woman. She also happens to be a track star. And she is a 400 meter, called the 400 meter diva, two-time Olympic gold medalist, world champion, entrepreneur, and philanthropist, Natasha Hastings. Hey, girl. Hey. Thanks for having me. I love that play on BBW. I was like, oh, okay. All right. (laughs) I love my girls, BBW. And that is all you. So thank you for joining me today. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Natasha, I want to ask you throughout our lives as just athletes, women in general, we have so much going on, so much on our plate that we never take the time to celebrate our small victories or things that we want to accomplish or have accomplished. So I want to ask you, what was your Mela win this week? Your small victory? Dang. And I feel like you're calling me to the table because that is definitely one of the things that I'm always like, find the small things to win. Cause we definitely get lost in like this and this didn't happen. So actually, all right, I, I kind of have to talk myself through things and then I have an <laughs> aha moment. <laughs> so, you know, I have my foundation, the Natasha Hastings foundation, which thank you for joining our panel discussion last week. I was feeling kind of like, 
man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this because I'm going into, I start competing next week. So all the things I'm a mom, like there's a lot of things on my plate. And so I was going into our board meeting on Saturday and I was just like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I had a conversation with my chair right before. And I was like, I think I'm going to like ask everyone to just like table it until after Tokyo when I have more time, blah, blah, blah. She's like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Let's just say a prayer real quick. (laughs) So we said a (laughs) prayer. (laughs) And then we went into the meeting and I text her while we were in the meeting. And I was like, prayer works (laughs) because after throughout the meeting, I was like, it's nowhere near as bad as you thought it was. Like, you're just creating all of this extra stuff in your head. We can totally do this. Your team has you. We can do it. So I had that moment, though, where I was like second guessing myself, second guessing my team. And then they just showed up in a way that I was like, girl, you got this. But (laughs) I definitely was like, I'm done with it. I'm ready to just be like, we'll just pick it up after Tokyo. And everybody just showed up. And I was like, "Okay, this is why I picked y'all. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The power of prayer. Thank you for showing me why. I like y'all. I appreciate that. (laughs) I think that that is honestly an amazing mellow way to look back on because I know I have those moments where things just feel overwhelming. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm over it. I'm done. I need to take a nap. I, I just can't. And then once you take that moment for yourself to relax, feel good or think about it, right? You're like, this really isn't that big of a deal. I'm like, AJ, like, let's stop the dramatics. Yeah. Just take one step at a time. <laughs> and literally you this. focused on like what you didn't achieve or what yes. you had on the list to do that. It might be just one little small thing, but all these other amazing things happened or got done. And it's like, hold on. Ignore it. Take a step back. <laughs> yep. Mel a winning the power of prayer and just realizing the small victories and how far you have come, not focusing on where you have to go. Natasha, as an athlete on the go, you just spoke to it. You're an athlete, you're moving, you're preparing for the Olympics, which I'm so excited to get into. First of all, I want to get up in your business. Let's get in the business. All right, let's get in the business. <laughs> Do you have a power song that just gets you hype and ready to go before training or before meet? I don't know that I have a power song more than a power artist, which okay. is interesting because a few years ago it was like Lil Wayne, anything Lil Wayne. And this is like when I was in college to like early pro days. These days, it's Masha Montano, a Calypso artist. Some people may or may not know I'm half Trinidadian, but he, like anything that he puts out that's like carnival music, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I need to. (laughs) So what would have been two carnivals ago, he came out with a song with Ashanti called On the Road. And I was like, I was pregnant during that too. So like, (laughs) that was like a good hype song for me to like, waddle out of the bed and get to practice and work out while I was uh, pregnant. So, but yeah, anything that he puts out, it's like fast, upbeat, like he just gets me going all the time. Can you sing me a little bit of like your favorite part? No, 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 no. I'll let you in my business, but you're not, I'm not going to sing and embarrass myself. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say is your hack as an athlete that just allows you to get through your days without feeling overwhelmed as we talked about earlier? I I honestly feel like it's kind of my blessing and my curse is that like, I just, I love to do. There's something about like, I I write things down. So like I write, I have my to-do list here that's like written down and I like to cross it off. And, and as much as I write things down, 
I still sometimes put too much on my plate. <laughs> sometimes yeah. I'll even like, you have a calendar in front of you, girl, the calendar is full. But I think I'm able to do that because in some ways, like I, I really try my best not to overcomplicate things. And I think that a lot of times when we overcomplicate things, that's what kind of keeps us from doing things or procrastinating. And so like really just making an effort to keep things as simple as possible. Now that I'm back in school, like that's another thing that I find myself like when I'm bumping into this imposter syndrome thing, I'm like, this is just because you're overcomplicating this. Like you're totally more than capable of this. Like look at it for what it is. Don't overcomplicate it. Just take it one step at a time. I liken it to like my breastfeeding journey. I'm still, we're 19 months in the game. We're still breastfeeding. And when I say that women are like, what? You're a working mom. How do you do that? And I was just, I, I hate saying it. Cause sometimes I'm like, I just didn't overcomplicate it. I was just like, you know, I, I, I was stressed about it in the beginning, but like, now it's just kind of like, okay, I'm producing the milk. He wants it. All right. <laughs> Keep it pushing. But I really think that we get in our way by overcomplicating things. And you just you just got to try to keep it as simple as possible. That's words to the rise right there. Because I'm <laughs> just thinking about, yeah, you still breastfeeding while having to train, while going to school, while just living your life. That just sounds like that's a lot See, on it your plate. It sounds like I just don't say it out loud like that. Right. <laughs> but then you, but like the way you say you simplify it or you make it everything as simple as possible. I feel like that is the key to not feeling overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's just that easy. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's just that easy. Adrian, this is what you have to do today. That's it. Not this and that. Just this. You know, just just focus on getting it done. Just show up. I think we get lost in a wanting to be perfect and perfectionism. And most times, if you just show up and get it done, it's going to be perfect anyway. Wow. A word. <laughs> just show up. That's the fact. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is to just show up. So that yeah. really is amazing advice. Do you have any meat day rituals or superstitions that you have to abide by? Yes, putting my makeup on for Intermediate Diva. Love that. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it was a thing that like I was criticized for because it, it obviously comes off as a vanity thing, right? But it's actually, as you said, like a ritual. Like it, I see you do your thing too, but it gives me something to do with my hands, and like I listen to music while I'm doing it. So it's literally I call it my positive distraction too. That like you're worked up, you're antsy, you're nervous about competition day, like. It's a step away from like, okay, let me not think about this. Let me beat my face, get dressed for my job. <laughs> and then, and it literally takes like 15 minutes. But I mean, if I don't do my makeup and wear a bright lipstick color, it's not going to be a good day. I don't know what it is. Nude lipsticks. We just, it's a bad day on the track. It. it has to be like a bright red, <laughs> pink, purple, but like a nude lipstick is not going to do it. Oh, I love that. First of all. <laughs> The beat in your face to go beat people in a race. If you want to make that your little like slogan, let me know. I I think that that is so important. So again, we talk about look good, feel good, play good, whatever it is a part of that. And as women, you know, you can be as dominant on the field with your mascara on too, right? It, it's all one. Exactly. All one. I couldn't agree more. Okay, but real quick before we move on, the uh -oh. lipsticks. How uh -huh. did you decide that nude was just not <laughs> your color wheel? I literally had bad it. races and nude lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. 
And then another layer was added to it. I did a campaign with Under Armour 2017, maybe. And they had poets that like wrote poems over each of our spots. So it was like five women that, you know, we each had our individual spots. And my poet, Dominique Christina, shout out to her. I'm still in touch with her. Awesome lady, awesome poet. She had a line in there that she said, red lipstick, war paint. So actually my cosmetic line, I have a red lipstick named war paint. And ever since then, I only wear red now. (laughs) But it was like another piece of that superstition, I guess, that it was like, ah, this is my war paint. This is me going to work. Like, obviously poets just, they just have this artistic flowery way of telling stories that I was like, okay, I'm gonna run with it. But me and nude lipsticks on race day, it doesn't work. Doesn't I, I, I had bad races in them and I'm just like, you know what? I'm not wearing any more nude lipstick. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's literally all it takes. I think for that's me, it. I do my snaps with my batting gloves and mm-hmm. I can't I have to do more than three. I don't know what it is. It has to be more than, it's almost like an OCD thing. Like I just feel it when, I, when I'm ready to stop. But I, I, one time I remember stopping on three and it was the worst game. And I took my batting gloves off. I was like, this is it. So I never, I never stop on three yeah. now. See, and it's the most randomest thing, how you figure it out, how you find it, but you stick to it. Once, once you get it, you're like, mm, that's, that's it. it. Not going back. <laughs> Natasha, what is your power pony while you're wearing your red war paint lipstick? What hairstyle is your favorite to wear when you run? That's not fair. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because I'm like, I can't say that I'm married to a hairstyle. Okay. Because that that's another layer of the 400 meter diva that like, I'm just willing to like, try something new. I've chopped it all off. I've dyed it blonde, which now I'm like, I'm not doing the blonde thing no more because that just eats your hair away. So I, it's not fair. Like, (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm like, the ridiculousness of it. One time I was in London for a track meet and I had like this curly Afro wig kind of thing in. And I like braided it down into like some crown braids, I guess. And then I had a scarf that I got from H&M and I tied it into like a bow on my head. And I had on pink lipstick, bright lipstick, of course. And I walked out on the track. (laughs) When I got off the track and I called my mom and my mom was like, you walked out on the track. And I was just like, only my child. What the hell does she have married to anything. I'm not afraid to try anything. I don't feel like it's going to slow me down because that's another big one. Like, how can you run with all of that on your head? And I'm like, hair, like, how much do you think it weighs? Like, I'm sorry. I don't have a, I'm just ridiculous. (laughs) Oh no, I love that. Always step into something new. I remember having a conversation and we were talking about with another track runner and she was talking about her different hairstyles and going out on the track and why it is that she'd wear different ones and how sometimes announcers, right. Just being a black woman in track and field, she said, sometimes they didn't recognize her. Mm -hmm. Has that happened to you? Like the hairstyle is a big part of what people recognize when it comes to black women. I can't say that that has happened to me. I, what happens to me more than not is it is mentioned like there goes Natasha with the bright lipstick and the, (laughs) the hair or, you know, there's some, some comment made about my appearance But I can totally see that happening because in all fairness, apart from one one announcer at this time, two actually, it's white men. So it happens. 
but yeah, <laughs> you know, representation matters. That's all I'll say. <laughs> is it frustrating? I can only imagine. It is. And it is because, uh, and this is something that I share with my foundation girls as well, that, and, and why I appreciate, you know, you taking on this platform where we need more women to tell our stories and to portray us, to be the thought leaders, to be the decision makers for us. Because a lot of how we're portrayed, how we're referred to, how we're spoken of lies in who we're being spoken of and portrayed by, you know? So, I mean, even the difference in, and I don't know if you see this in softball and baseball or not, but like how they refer to the men by their last name and will be the gals or, you know, talking about us by our first name and talk, and it's like, but you wouldn't talk about our male counterparts like that. Like talk about our performances, talk about, so that part of it, yes, I do get frustrated. I am passionate about it that like, I want more women in the booth. I want more, you know, women creating our marketing campaigns, women signing us to, to different brands and, you know, in the, the head offices making the decisions for us. So yeah, frustrating. as <laughs> <laughs> a mouthful, but you know, it's, it's the world that we live in. And, and hopefully we, I mean, I had a conversation this weekend where like, we're definitely further than where we were 10 years ago, but I just hope to see us continue to move along that continuum and, and see change happen. Wow. Yeah. To see change happen. I even think about when you talk about a lot of the times the people that are speaking about these black women that are competing, whether it be softball or track and field, they're often white men, right? So men that have no idea when it comes to the preparation of women, our hair, skin, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And then white men who don't share the same experiences as black individuals in this country. And when you were to think about representation and if there were more black women announcing track runners, what is the difference that you think would be made? So there's two things, right? Because there's what I would hope to see (laughs) versus what might actually happen, because we do live in a society where drama sells. So what I would hope to see is that if and when we do fill that space, that we do the work to uplift one another and we do the work to open the door to allow more of us in as opposed to what has kind of been our culture where, you know, sometimes we kind of tear each other down. We see each other as competition because the the seats at the table are limited. <laughs> so I'm trying to get the seat versus, you know, like sharing the seat with my sister so there's there's that part of it where it's like I'm advocating for these things, I'm hoping for these things, but I also wanted to be clear that with these things there is a responsibility, qualification, all of the above that we need to come into these spaces with, right? Like we just don't want to be filling the spaces with just any oh, you're my black sister, I want you sitting at this table, you know, which I don't want to say is a dangerous thing because I do feel like we definitely need more diversity and inclusion, but I think we also need to be cognizant of like, when we get to these positions, we need to be prepared for these positions and be equipped to do the job properly. Be prepared to shine because as the old saying goes, sometimes have to work twice as hard to get half or the same as many of our white counterparts, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is something that we've all, all of us with melanin, have had to navigate at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Natasha, when was the first time that you fell in love with your melanin? You fell in love with your skin? You know, it's an int- very interesting question because 
I come from a family and I I didn't recognize this until I was about 25 years old, which is is mind blowing what I'm about to tell you. Everyone on my mom's side of the family is dark skin. So I vividly remember a couple of times being asked like, hey, are you adopted? I was like, adopted? No. (laughs) Like, it's my mom. And, And although my mom is dark skin, we look like I'm the light skin version of her. And my father is light skin as well. But I remember, I can't remember where I was traveling to, but one time in particular, my grandfather, grandmother, and my mom's brother and my brother were all in Atlanta. I was passing through Atlanta to go somewhere. And we took a picture. And I looked at the picture afterwards and I was like, oh, snap. (laughs) That's why people ask. (laughs) Because up until that point, I never realized that like, I'm different from my family, you know, and, and obviously only different in that, you know, I'm, I'm light skinned, but my family has always like, we're black, we're proud, love your skin, love the skin that you're in. You're beautiful. I share this story that it's something that I didn't realize again until I was older. I went to an all white private school up until the eighth grade. And The crazy hair actually comes from my mother. My mother has been putting me in different hairstyles for as long as I can remember. I had a letter sent home that my hair was too big and my extensions need to be taken out because the students behind me couldn't see. Rather than my mother take my hair down, write a note, send it back to the teacher, my mom came into the school (laughs) and had a meeting with the teacher and the principal. And she said, so let me ask you this. I see this student here. Her hair is down to her butt. Are you going to tell her to take her, cut her hair off? And they literally just looked at her with nothing to say. So needless to say, I continue to go to school with my big hair. <laughs> Love that. The kids had to figure out how to see around Rally. me. <laughs> <laughs> but that, and I was probably like eight or nine. And again, at that moment, I didn't understand what my mom was doing. But now I'm like, oh, my mother was advocating for a baby girl. You are who you are. And ain't nobody going to tell you to be different. And you're going to love the big braids that if, and to this day, I found a picture the other day. I was like, this was kind of ridiculous. Because- <laughs> Mom, they probably really couldn't see. <laughs> <laughs> because on top of that, like I had this big head, small body. <laughs> it was a mess. I thought I was fly back then, but it was a hot mess. But Again, it was that we are who we are. You're going to love who you are. You're going to show up and be who you are. You love your hair. You're going to wear your hair to school. You're beautiful as you are. So I don't know that I had a moment more than like, you know, just experiences throughout my life where, again, my mom kind of showed up in ways and then, you know, experiences of just kind of sitting back and being like, huh, how did my family manage to do that? Because like, I didn't really realize that I was different. I was just always told that, you know, I'm loved. I'm, I can express myself. And cause like I said, the hair was always a thing. So no, no wonder the 400 meter diva came about, but I don't know. I think it was just a continuum of events over my life. I think that is so powerful. Your mom, not changing your hair, because I would imagine you change your hair that day and then you just become self-conscious about what it is to be black, if this is even okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, how you're saying they had to work around you. This is my (laughs) space. And y'all gonna have to figure this out with my jumbo box. (laughs) The power of that and the power of that, no learning that or feeling that so young, because I think as young kids, 
we harness a lot of things that come out as adults that we never really realize we're a part of, you know what I mean? That we were dealing with. I've been in therapy for over a year now and I'm sitting in there like, you mean to tell me this thing from when I was six is what's showing up now? (laughs) Like what? Yes, we subconsciously, I mean, our childhood experiences and adolescent and life period, but you're so right. We have no idea where a lot of the things and some of those microaggressive behaviors that we may not recognize in the moment, in the moment, actually frame our thoughts and how we, you know, show up in the world. And we don't even realize. Oh, we don't even realize until, until it's too late. <laughs> until right. we're like trying to figure it out all at one time. But I'm glad that you didn't have to. So you never went through a, let me fry my hair phase to make it more straight. I did get relaxers up until my sophomore year of high school. And then I went natural. But I want to say, like, I didn't feel pressured to, like, you know, fit into the 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 norms. And but again, I think that that's more of like a subconscious of like, no, I was actually trying to fit in. I may not have recognized it that way. But also when I did go natural, I wasn't afraid to show up with my natural hair. You know, I wasn't. And and I still like experimented with it. I went natural and then I bleached it blonde (laughs) and then, you know, I cut it all off and then I permed it again. And like, so I've just never been afraid to. And I love a good wig, too. (laughs) Yes, yes. Now that I say that. Yeah. So (laughs) I've, I've never been afraid to experiment with it. And but I'm, I'm also more cognizant now of, yeah, some of that is does come from some of the Eurocentric beauty that, you know, has kind of been shoved down our throats. But I'm just kind of like, I'm okay with living on both. But now more than ever, I'm probably I got locks in my hair now. (laughs) So I think I'm definitely as I get older, probably embracing it more. Embrace it because you look fabulous right now. Thank you. Absolutely. Natasha, to switch up a little bit. Okay. What is your most embarrassing moment that you've had as a track star? And what did it teach you? I was probably like 12 or 13. I was at a track meet in Queens. And I thought like at that age, your period is irregular. So you kind of like don't know it's coming or if it's coming or long story short, I had a moment where I had an accident in the middle of my race. And um, my mom took me off the track and as fate would have it, someone lived close by that we were able to like go to her house and get cleaned up and, you know, but I remember feeling like, did anybody see it? Did anybody, you know? And so now that is something that again, through my foundation, like I want to talk about period health and like, you know, this is not a taboo conversation. Cause I even rem- like every, every little girl's period story is probably something about like, I didn't want anyone to know. And I whispered it in my mom's ear and my mom told me, okay, now you're a woman versus like, oh, wow, this is a Dominique Christina. She actually had a period party for her daughter. (laughs) Like, this is something to celebrate. You're a woman now. This is a, you know, like there's this embarrassment around our periods. I mean, I remember being mortified. I don't know if anyone actually saw it. If they did, they, no one said anything to me, but I definitely was like, oh my God. Cause we, I was, I remember I was wearing, we call them panty shorts or lollipops. They were green. So it was definitely quite obvious that like something happened here. I love that stance you're taking though, not to be embarrassed about being a woman. And just the fact that these things happen. 
Yeah. We should all stop making it seem like it's so weird or out of the norm or making girls feel bad about just being girls. Mm -hmm. That's it. Natasha, when you look back on your success, we talked about you being a two-time Olympic gold medalist. You are a world champion. What is one goal that you told yourself when you were younger that you would achieve that you can look back now and say, I really did mellow in. I achieved that. Oh, my gold medals. (laughs) What you just said. (laughs) I literally was 10 years old. I'm aging myself here, but you know, I'm embracing who I am. The 1996 Olympic Games were in Atlanta, Georgia. Both of my parents ran track. So naturally, the Olympics was just like a big thing in our household. I started running track that year. And I remember watching like, oh, man, I can do that one day. You mean to tell me that's like what track people do and like and I can go out and do that thing. So definitely my gold medals. Now. I want to say something that I know this isn't a part of your question, but I feel like I need to drop this in there. You're being called to say it, say it. I'm being called to say something. (laughs) (laughs) Because it brings me back to celebrating your small victories and not comparing yourself to others and you defining your own success, right? Because I have two gold medals. The second one I won in 2016. The first one in 2008, like I didn't really cherish it because it was a relay medal or it is a relay medal. And in track and field, we're told that like relay medals don't mean anything. You need to get your individual medal. And so I got to Rio and I was there for both the 400 and the four by four. I actually placed fourth in the 400. So I'm like, just, uh, just a little dip. <laughs> and I missed it. Like I remember sitting on the track feeling like, oh my goodness. Like I feel, it, it felt like a gut punch. But anyway, there was a story like, you know, every, probably every major tournament, the Olympic Games, there was a major story being run on another female athlete. And they were talking about how many medals she had. And, you know, she's this, she's celebrated. She's this, she's that, she's this. Now, before I say anything, who I'm talking about is a future Hall of Famer. She is a GOAT. I am not hating on her one bit. I feel like I always have to start off with that. that. Yeah. But in the moment, as they were calling off her medals, I was like, but most of those are relay medals. So y'all are celebrating her for the same thing that you've told me (laughs) that I can't celebrate my, my, my career wasn't good enough because of the relay medals. And in that moment, I was like, girl, (laughs) you can't wait for nobody to give you your flowers. Like how many people have lived the life that you've lived? How many people have gone to two Olympics? How many people have made the finals in the Olympics? Like You have got to celebrate your victories and you cannot wait for someone else to tell you that your victory was good enough. You have two, and and at that 2016, 2008, I let eight years go by feeling like my career was worthless and I I already had a gold medal. So my message here is again, (laughs) don't wait for nobody to give you your flowers. You have to celebrate yourself. And when you get caught up in comparing yourself to others or measuring your, your success against society standards, you'll really get lost in the sauce. And before you know it, you'll look up and you've already surpassed your goal, but you let all this other stuff cloud your judgment and cloud your moment. So that's my message to the young girls out there. Don't do that. Celebrate (laughs) your small, medium, large, all the victories because you did it. You put the work in. Like, don't let anyone steal your joy. 
Sorry, that that was my. <laughs> no, that was amazing. And that needs to be said, because I think especially young girls, we compare ourselves, just women in general, we compare ourselves so often to the next woman, to the next person that's achieving something without realizing that their journey is completely separate to ours, right? Mm-hmm. Comparison, my favorite thing to say is comparison is just the thief of all joy. All joy. Yep. And in reality, when we compare people, we could be comparing their page 108 to our page two. Come right? on we now. Pass no the collection idea. plate. Where is it? <laughs> Come on. We have no idea. But again, also what you said, be your own biggest cheerleader. Be your own yeah. biggest fan. Nobody should be rooting for you more than more you than should you. be rooting for you. Amen. Oh, preach it. When you win, th- thinking about winning your gold medals and cheering for yourself, coming to this realization that you have to celebrate yourself. What were some things that you did and that young girls can do now to when you were younger that allowed you to see your goals or think about your goals, put them in play? Mm, writing Journaling or yeah. visualization. Yeah. I, as a kid, I used to write my times down and like put them in my spikes. That's um, so cool. I still write my goals down. I still write my times down. I still do vision boards. I journal. And again, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I, a few years ago, actually, actually more than a few years ago, 2013, I wrote down my hundred, 200 and 400 goals for the year. And I actually, this time put it on a door hanger in my bedroom. And, um, I had a track meet, ran the hundred, ran pretty fast, whatever. And I was laying in bed one day and randomly rolled over and looked at it. And I was like, do we curse here? Oh, shoot. (laughs) I hit my hundred goal, like, and surpassed it. <laughs> so I, it's really something about, and I didn't realize it until two weeks later, rolling over and looking at it like, oh, snap, girl, you wrote this thing down. It's really something about like writing it down, setting a goal, but then being able to go back and check and like, you know, look at your progress. And, and if you're not there, you know, make adjustments to get to where it is that you're trying to get to but also celebrating those small victories along the way. Again, like every failure is not a failure. It's a lesson. It's an opportunity to get better. So like really giving my, giving myself the space for that. Also surrounding myself with good people, good people that are going to hold me accountable that are going to tell me like, Hey Tosh, this is not going to cut it. (laughs) I love you. Not just the people that are going to tell me every day. Oh yeah. You're awesome. Your boo-boo smells like roses. Like, no. (laughs) You need those people that are going to hold you accountable, that want to see you win, that want to work with you, like-minded, like gold people, all of the things. You had outcasts in your corner, letting you know that your ish don't stay, but (laughs) lean a little closer. (laughs) They had to remind you, remind you a little bit. Just every now and again, Tosh. (laughs) It's starting to stink a little bit. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. Whatever something, when I need to be humble, like, hey, just let me know if I, you know, this AJ, is, you starting know, to stink a little bit. Pull it back. It won't hurt my feelings. <laughs> and when we speak about, you talk about failure and, you know, how failure is a part of this journey. It's a part of getting to success. In 2007, 2009, and 2011, you were a member of the 4x400 meter relay team. And then in 2012, you did not make the team. That failure, how did you allow that to propel you forward? And what was your mindset as soon as you realized you didn't make that team? How are you going to bounce back? 
Man, you, you set that up perfectly because 2012 was my defining failure. And failure is actually something that I, you know, when I do my motivational speaking, I like to lead into things with that because I am one of those athletes that I really feel like my wins are so much sweeter because I know the failures. <laughs> I know the journey that it took for me to get here. So when I do win the very next year, when I was U.S. champion after not making the team the prior year, <laughs> my ish really didn't stink. But <laughs> <laughs> let them know. Let them know. <laughs> but when I didn't make the team in 2012, I remember I walked home from the stadium or back to the hotel. I'm a sprinter, so you should know I don't do nothing over 400 meters. So anyway, <laughs> I walked back to the hotel. There was nothing anyone could say to me, my mom, my coaches, nobody. I was just like done with it. When I left the University of South Carolina or before leaving, I was planning on becoming a chiropractor. I was like, okay, well, I have my prereqs to go into Cairo school. Let me start looking into Cairo school like this ain't it. Like, because again, comparison. 2007, 9, and 11, I was on the relay. I wasn't in the individual. So this, I, this is just not working out. I'm not, forget the gold medals that I won on all three of those teams, right? So after everybody lets me get over myself, <laughs> my mom, <laughs> which I, I would also like to point out, like you got to allow yourself to go through that. Give yourself the time. There, there comes a time where it's like, you got to get out of that funk, but allow yourself to go through through those emotions to like act like you don't care. It doesn't bother. No girl cry, punch a bag, walk, whatever it is that you have to do, go through those emotions. So after I got through that, after I started accepting phone calls, <laughs> my mom called me and um, we're having a talk or whatever. And she's like, you know, I see you out on the track. And when I look at you, you look like you don't believe that you belong out there. Like you feel like you're not as good as the rest of those women or even better. And I was like, no, mom, I'm good. Like, that's not it. That's not the problem. But, you know, mom usually knows best because I was definitely lying through the skin of my teeth. She said, well, I don't know how this happened, but I happened to be sitting next to a gentleman in the stadium. Turned out to be a sports psychologist. He's been watching you for years. He would love to work with you. Here's his phone number. Do with it what you will. And this is not my first, but my second experience with a sports psychologist. I did see a sports psychologist a couple of times at South Carolina, but it was more like at home stuff that, that I was talking to him about. And um, the first conversation that he and I had, he asked me, um, so, you know, tell me a little bit of like how you're talking to yourself when you're standing at the blocks. And I was like, man, this race, why am I here? This last hundred is going to hurt. All right. It's just 51 seconds of pain, like just a whole bunch of negative stuff. Right. And I'm just I'm thinking nothing of it as I'm telling him, like, yeah, these are my thoughts. Like the 400 is so hard. Why did this have to be my event? Why couldn't I do the 200? That's so much easier. And he says, Natasha, you have lost the race before the gun has even gone off, if that's how you're speaking to yourself. And I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, like you are self-defeating. And so going back to what I said earlier about simplifying things, this is like a, a part of the story that sometimes I'm like, it sounds oversimplified, but it really is a true story. We worked on changing my language. It was a long process. It started from us starting working together in the fall 
So probably like November, December-ish, get to a track meet in New York. It was cold and raining. I literally through the whole warm up was like, the sun is shining in lane seven. Lane seven was my lane. <laughs> I was like, the sun is shining in lane seven. It's not cold. It's not rainy. It's a beautiful day in lane seven. The gun goes off and I ran the fastest time that I'd run since leaving college, which at that point was like four or five years later. And from that race, it was like one by one, I was just chipping away. And then I went on to be U.S. champion. And then my the career, my career since then has just been slowly but surely working my way up. But that was the moment that like something's not working. I've got to figure it out. And it was literally as simple as how I was speaking to myself that made the change in how I was performing in my career. Can you hear him? He's trying to get in here. (laughs) (laughs) And my career um, really just changing. But I mean, it really was a moment that I could have, like I said, gone to Cairo school, been done with it. But my mom let me have my moment. She gave me that phone, that phone number. And that really changed the trajectory of my career. Positive self-talk, the power of positive self-talk. I used to, I don't remember who told us when I was playing softball, but said it takes more, your brain doesn't register negative thoughts or it doesn't register you saying things. So if you said, if I were up to bat, he would say exactly the opposite. So if I'm like, okay, don't swing at the rise ball, don't swing at the rise ball. All my brain hears is swing at rise ball, (laughs) swing at rise ball. (laughs) And so then that from listening to him tell me that, I was like, that is insane how much the negative thoughts transform, not just our mind, but our performance without Mm -hmm. us even realizing it. Mm -hmm. And so first of all, anytime I'm something's it's a bad day, I'm just going to say that it's sunny the sun is shining in lane seven. The sun is shining in lane seven. That I promise is my you mantra. I'm not lying. <laughs> I love that. Yes, as you said, in 2013, you went on to be the U.S. national champion in the 400 meters. And I remember our last conversation, we talked about controlling the controllables. How does that match up to what you just spoke about, positive self-talk? Because as athletes... We, we always want to have control, even of things oh, that we can't I, you control. You took the words out of my mouth. I was like, we are <laughs> control freaks because like the pandemic, I know for track and field athletes, we were like, what? Hold on. There's no Olympics. What's the schedule? Like, are we competing? Are we? So we're supposed to train. What am I training? How do I? And <laughs> you really have to bring it on back to, okay, what am I controlling of, which is my thoughts, how I show up how I train. Um, one of the things my my coach said almost immediately after the postponement came last year, he said, I don't want you all to get mentally fried. So he's like, I'm not concerned about you all being in shape. I know you're going to be in shape. I don't want you to mentally lose it. And a lot of that is identifying what you have control over and controlling those things. I don't have control. And and this was another thing that I had to realize in, in my racing too. And, you know, the difference in like focusing on my lane. <laughs> I don't know what Mary's going to do in the next lane, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and her race plan ain't got nothing to do with my race plan because that's not how I run my race. So Mary's going to show up with her blue hair you know, her stride is going to be on point. It might not be on point. She might not take it out. So I may follow her, but, oh, she's going slow today. That that messed me up. Really just focus on yourself. Focus on what you have control over. Don't compare yourself to others because 
you ain't got no control over a sis next to you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, and it, it's hard. Cause I mean, as athletes, like, I'm like, okay, what time do I need to be there? What time am I getting out? Okay. I got to be home. My son takes a nap at such and such time. I need to, it is a daily <laughs> practice. <laughs> a daily, I agree with that. A daily practice on focusing, just control what you can control. It is. I am so excited again, talking to you because not only do you drop all these wisdom dimes, not only is my new mantra, it is sunny in lane seven, <laughs> but <laughs> you have changed the, it is what it is mindset to it is what I make it. That's what mm-hmm. all of you barrier breaking women do. It is what you made it. What was one moment in your career throughout all the years that you've been running track when someone doubted you or told you what you could or couldn't do and or be, and you proved them wrong? That was very early on in my life. 2002 World Juniors was in Jamaica, and that would have been my first opportunity to make an international team. I'm half Jamaican, got a whole lot of stuff going on. I told you earlier, I'm half Trinidadian. I was born in Brooklyn. My mom was born in London. It's it's a whole lot. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I have the opportunity or I have the ability to run for either the United States, the United Kingdom or Jamaica because I can get passports in all three of those countries. So the Jamaican team approached me to run for Jamaica. And I was like very close to like deciding to run for Jamaica. I remember my dad got a Jamaican sweatsuit, like the Olympic jacket from the Olympic team. I wore that thing till like the threads were popping out of it. But anyway, the coach tells my mom, let's be honest. She's never going to make a U.S. team. So she should just come run for us. (laughs) And my mom told me that 2002, I was like 13 or 14. And that was what made the decision for me. I was like, nah, I'm not going to run for them. It's okay. So I didn't make the team in 2002 because I was actually hurt. But in 2003, I made the world youth team. That was my first international team. And then between 2003 and 2017, I made every single national team that I tried out for. That part. That part. Period. <laughs> I'm taking my talents to the United States. Exactly. Thank you. Period. <laughs> what was from all of the adversity that you have faced over and over again, that you have overcome over and over again, again, changing the, it is what it is, right? You won't be able to compete with the Team USA to make it no. Thanks for that. But it is what I make it. What Mm -hmm. is the best advice that you've ever received, whether it be family, friend or another athlete? It's actually from Michael Johnson. He told me a lot of times we just look at competition as our opportunity. But he said every day is an opportunity. Every day, treat practice like a track meet. Every day is an opportunity for you to get better. And it is, again, one of those simple things. But it's something that I take to the weight room where I take to the track with me every day that like, this is an opportunity for me to get better than Sally or Mary or whoever I'm competing against, you know, no matter how small or big, you know, and I I will say it's one of the reasons that I think there are a couple of reasons, but (laughs) I'll keep the shade to myself. But like when I'm at like the world championships or the Olympics, or it's just another race, like I don't treat it like it's, the Olympics or the world championships, because I treat every day as an opportunity to get better. And because I treat every day that way, 
what I've done, I'm confident in was good enough to get here. So now that I'm here, I'm not going to recreate the wheel. I don't have to because I've treated every day like the Olympics. I've treated every day like the world championships. Dang, that is fully encompassing. I stay ready. That way I don't ever I have got to, to get, get ready. Get ready. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, indeed. I love that. Every day you are competing against yourself. Every day is to get 1% better than who you are yesterday. That is the mentality of a gold medalist. And hence why you are that. <laughs> Melanated and celebrated. This is where I am celebrating all things Natasha and everything that she's been able to accomplish in her melanin. We talked about your gold medals. We talked about overcoming adversity. We have yet to talk about another absolutely amazing achievement, becoming a mom to your beautiful, beautiful little boy, Liam. And I think, you know, it's so interesting when we hear about athletes, women, athletes, becoming pregnant, right? I think for so many of us, we're like, is this in my career? Is this it? We don't know if this is going to be, be able to move on. We're worried about what sponsors are going to say. And you waited five months into your pregnancy before <laughs> telling your sponsors. Uh-huh. Why? You just said it. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what pressure did you feel? Are my sponsors going to cut me? Are they going to think I'm not taking this seriously? And I always say this, everybody knows how you make a baby. My plan was never to have a child while I'm still competing. I was like, I'll retire and then start my family. But I just didn't know it was, again, wanting to be in control of everything, wanting to, (laughs) to, I didn't know what the response would be. And yeah, it took five months. I did find some solace and comfort in when you're pregnant, you do a whole bunch of reading. <laughs> you is a whole bunch of things that like you're trying to figure out. It's an unknown. And I found solace in number one, this is not just an athlete's issue. This is a woman's issue. Women are faced with this choice every day. If I start my family, will this jeopardize my career? And again, another situation that men aren't faced with that choice. That's not, it's not something that they think about, you know, But then when I finally made the phone call, (laughs) I was shocked (laughs) to hear on the other end, oh my God, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. Why'd you wait so long to tell us? I'm so sorry. And then they created a whole like, like a mini campaign, but we did some work together. We did a photo shoot while I was pregnant. And then another lady that I spoke to that I wasn't working as closely with at the time, but she was part of the team that signed me to Under Armour back in 2011. And when we got on the phone, she was like, I get it. No, I'm not competing at the level that you are, but, or competing when she got pregnant, (laughs) she was, she was like, my husband didn't understand. Like I was so stressed out about telling my boss and I get it. But I, I always liken that back to, thank God I had to make that call to a woman, you know? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for a lot of us in the game, we don't get to make that phone call to a woman. And I think it made the difference having someone on the other line that got it, (laughs) that I'm hurt that you waited this long to tell me, but I get it. I understand. But, you know, I I think we are starting to see some shifts in the culture. I'm hoping that more than a PR and marketing stunt, that these are things that these brands will really make good on and really embrace that, you know, we are women first. I was on another panel this weekend 
And a young lady presented something to me that I was like, oh my God, my, you just blew my mind that like women in sports, it's almost like we're finally getting to the place of like, let's market ourselves as women. Why are we trying to market ourselves or meet the standard of the male athlete? We're female athletes and let's celebrate female athletes and childbirth for some female athletes is a part of (laughs) being a woman. And when she presented that, I was like, that's so mind blowing because, you know, my, my track and fitness and workout posts still get a lot of traction, but my mommy posts, like looking at my engagement and the brands that I'm working with and stuff, like they're really interested in my journey as a mother now. And what, I I don't want to say what more, because I don't think having children defines you as a woman. Cause I'm totally for, if you don't want to have kids, I think that's another thing that women face that like, we're expected to want to have kids. If that's your choice, you don't want to have kids. I'm celebrating you for that too, you know, but women relate to (laughs) the story as women. So rather than stifle that part of who we are or who some of us are, we should be celebrating and telling those stories. So it's a, a nuanced topic. I'm absolutely in love with my son. Some days, some days I'm in the gym. I was doing it this morning and I'll like pull up his videos and just be looking at his videos while I'm doing my crunches or Aww. something. But, <laughs> and I never thought that like, I would be that mom. Like I have friends that have kids and they would say and do stuff. And I'm like, girl, leave that kid with your mama. You can go do whatever, whatever. (laughs) And now I'm the person that's like, well, mom, are you sure? No, I think I'll go after he goes to bed. It just just happens. It just happens. (laughs) I, I think that that is so important to talk about how you are thankful that you were able to give, make that call to a woman because there are so many athletes, you know, some have spoken out public about it, about their sponsors, not being supportive. Mm-hmm. of them having children. Mm-hmm. And to think for me, someone that wants to have kids one day, my immediate thought is, how can I perform? How can I keep going? Will people support me? Mm-hmm. When you were pregnant and you talked earlier about training while you were pregnant, what did you learn about yourself and your body? And how in the world did you just even do that anyway? <laughs> A whole lot, a whole lot, because apart from I talked about the sponsor thing, but I was also afraid of like, will I physically be able to come back from childbirth? Because right. you, you are putting your body through a thing. However, after having a child, I'm kind of like, well, if I could do that, I can damn sure get back on the track. Anything. <laughs> So, I mean, I told my coaches, uh, of course, my immediate family were the first people that I told, but my two coaches were the the two people that I told immediately. My doctors were on board. They were like, listen, you've been doing this your whole life. Unless you see this, this, and this, you're fine. Continue doing what you're doing. So I kept training with my training partners. They didn't know I was pregnant. I kept training with them up until 12 or 13 weeks. And one day (laughs) we were doing some hundreds and maybe we got to like number four or five and he blew the whistle and they just took off on me in a way that I was like, after that rep, I walked over to my coach and I was like, okay, I think it's time for me to start doing (laughs) some other things. But I trained up until the day before I gave birth. Oh, wow. And then when I went into labor, I had no idea I was in labor. I thought it was just Braxton Hicks. Shout out to my girlfriend, Amberly Winley. She's now a practicing OBGYN. She was also pregnant at the same time. And I called her and I had a contraction while I was on the phone with her. And I had, I was like, hold on, 
She was like, Natasha, if you're in that kind of pain, go to the hospital. Had my son within two hours of getting to the hospital. Almost didn't get the epidural. But (laughs) I want to say I hired a, a doula. Didn't get to do any of the birthing stuff that we were supposed to do because he was three weeks early, four weeks early, actually. But there were moments that like I was having contractions and I was rocking back and forth and I was humming to myself. And I literally envisioned myself standing on the line at the Olympics. I was like, you've been to the Olympics. You got this. This ain't nothing. Like I was talking (laughs) crazy to myself. (laughs) Like this is nothing. It was painful, (laughs) but it wasn't that bad. But also when I got the epidural, I was like, I don't know why anybody would want to do this any other way. (laughs) Like I could have made it without, but I was like, but why? And then after I was like, if I can do that, I can do anything. Like, okay. So I was walking in three weeks back on the track in like six or eight weeks, but I'm also crazy. So there's that too. (laughs) (laughs) More athletes, women athletes that want to see themselves getting pregnant in the future, want to have kids, but also don't want to end their career playing just yet. What's your advice? How do you say that you can do both? How did you do both? And to not feel discouraged. I am an advocate for have conversations. I think it's important for us to know what our options are. Because again, if you're that woman that you don't want to have kids until later, science is science. So let's be real about that. Have some conversations about possibly freezing your eggs. But also, if you want to have kids during, it's important to know. I think, and this is some of our duty now, unfortunately, but it is what it is. And you may or may not have seen a new ad. I won't put them on on the spot, but there's a new maternity ad by a particular brand that we know hasn't been so friendly towards athletes that have gotten pregnant, but it's like, if this is what you're now going to market, I also need you to live and die by that too. Like, this is how you need to treat your employees. This is how you need to treat your, your athletes. And I think a lot of that lies within the athletes also advocating that like, hey, these are our rights. We need some sort of clause or protection in our contracts going forward that You know, if this does happen, if this is a choice that I make, I'm not going to be penalized for starting my family. But I do think it it comes in us banding together and really like holding these sponsors, federations, you know, all these people accountable that like we shouldn't be punished for being women. I love everything we've spoken about today when it comes to just being a woman, whether it's periods to pregnancy to just being a woman, everything we should all take pride in. and. The people that support us, sponsors, should as well. What is a supportive sponsor? What should sponsors and brands be doing to help uplift athletes that do get pregnant? First and foremost, you have to listen to your athletes. I think it's very easy for the front office to be disconnected from the athlete because the front office is worried about selling tickets, making money, getting butts in the, the seats, you know, Whereas the athlete is concerned about performance. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going <laughs> to save some money? <laughs> my massage therapist wants their money as soon as they finish the job, sometimes before, <laughs> you know. But really, there, there has to be a connect made between the two. And like, we have to make our voices be heard. And the front office 
has to be willing to listen and do what's necessary. And I'll go back to what I said earlier too. I, I do think representation matters. I think having diversity at the table and diversity, including women, black people, <laughs> black women, white, we need those people at the table that are thought leaders, but also can relate to who they're making these decisions for. So I think it's, it's another like nuanced topic, of course, but I, I think those are some of the steps that would be necessary for, for us to continue moving in the right direction. Representation is truly so important. <laughs> I feel like in any and everything we talk about, it is so important for so many different reasons. Natasha, you have reached the highest of success. And this summer, you will be going for it again for one the 2021 <laughs> Olympics. One last time. I love that. What is your mindset, your mentality going into your, you said it, your final Olympics. I think a lot of us wish it wasn't, but <laughs> if this is your final Olympics, what is your mentality into training moving toward Japan? You're so kind. Um, <laughs> this time I really have the privilege of like, it's on my own terms. When I got pregnant and had my son, it's, it really became about not comparing myself again. Like the fact that I'm here after having my child, <laughs> I'm just going to celebrate every moment of it. I'm going to cherish every moment of it. So it's really more so like being present in the moment. I think my career, which has been a very long one that I've been blessed and privileged to have, a lot of it was fleeting. A lot of it I don't remember <laughs> because it happened so fast. You achieve one thing or you don't achieve, but you're on to the next thing. You're trying to achieve the next thing. And it's like, now that I know that this is my final lap, I know that my son is watching and I want to be able to, you know, show him this later on in life when he can understand. It's really about walking away from it on my own terms and walking away from it with my integrity, just my, my, my peace of mind that like I did this. But, you know, I, I also kind of have the peace of mind that like, I did this already. <laughs> so I kind of rely on that experience where I feel like that's the edge that like, there's the school of thought that she's 34. She's had a kid where I'm like, yeah, I'm 34. I had a kid. I have experiences that I can rely on that the young bucks can't, but also like, I'm just willing to do the work and show up and whatever happens happens. But I know that I showed up as my best self. Is that what you say you take into the preparation and the training? Does this being your final, which sounds like the start, the name of a, an amazing 30 for 30, the final lap, but <laughs> does your preparation look different going into this being your final Olympics as far yeah. as on the track? I definitely have the mindset that like, and, and it's been like this for a while, smarter, not harder. Again, I can rely on my, my experiences uh, and it's probably always been a thing of mine. I'll never forget. I had a training partner tell me training with me is like a mind F. I was like, <laughs> what do you mean by that? And she was like, well, you know, like you'll let us like, we'll keep up with you on the first one. And the second one we'll, we'll, we'll kind of feel like, and then it's like, you just tap into another. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> but I think I go into every workout again, going back to every day is an opportunity, but every workout has a purpose. And I take that in mind with every rep. 
And so again, I guess it's just that mental capacity that like, I know I have the physical capacity, but I use the mental just as much every day. And it's that training that is just as important as the physical preparation as well. Like fine tuning the mind to go there and take your body somewhere to sometimes your body actually ain't ready to go, but your mind will take you there. So it's really having that ability to, to go to a space that, you know, physically, I know I've got to do the work and I will do the work, but my body will follow my mind. I love that. Cause I think sports is like 80% mental and the rest follows. Mm-hmm. When you talk about you have that experience, that's what you have up on them young bucks, as you call it. <laughs> what would you say is your, I wish I knew then that I know now for those young bucks? What I preach now is that you're good enough. You're good enough. You you have a lane on this track because you deserve it. And by God, if you deserve it, show up and show out. You're good enough. Oh, I just love talking to you. And then you have, again, we talked about, about just about everything, but you also have your foundation and your Tasha Hastings Foundation, where you seek to empower, inspire, and uplift with a mission to be a starting block for girls to become women of confidence in sport mm-hmm. and in life. life. That part. You have what it sounds like throughout your life has been on this journey for this confidence to be able to relay that to so many young girls what would you say you are the most proud of on from the beginning to this final lap? What are you most proud of? Probably my vulnerability. I think as athletes, we are revered as superheroes. And I think it's so, so, so incredibly important to let young girls, but young people, period. I've gone through some stuff probably very similar to, or the same thing as you have. I've just managed to accomplish some things that you can also accomplish some things too, that it doesn't even have to be this, like find your lane, make it happen. But, you know, allowing myself to go into that space where I'm not afraid of sharing like, Hey, I didn't think I was good enough. Y'all thought I was, but I didn't. I was talking to myself all kind of crazy. I would never tell you, I wouldn't even tell my girlfriend that, but I was telling myself that, you know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, allowing myself to be vulnerable and allow my story to be a vessel for someone that like 2016, I remember being so disappointed that I got fourth place. I wouldn't open my phone. And it wasn't until the next day that I opened my phone and looked at the messages that I was getting from people. And I was like, okay, I won a different race today. I didn't get that medal, but I touched so many people's lives. And I just allow myself to be vulnerable. And when I fail, I'm gonna tell you I failed. (laughs) You go see, a lot of times I can't hide it because I didn't make the team. So that's obvious. (laughs) But the process of coming out of that, like, you know, I'm gonna share what the journey was to come back from that. And I think, you know, it gives others wings to know that you're gonna get knocked down but it's how you get back up from that. And I'm not afraid to share that I've been knocked down quite a bit, but somehow or another, I get back up and do my best. I'm about to tear up a little bit. That was Aww. so powerful. And, you know, I think it brings me to where you say you, you just keep going. If you can get knocked down, if you get knocked down, just make sure you land on your back because if you can look up, you can get up. And Come on. I feel like you have been 
an example of that throughout your entire career, sharing a vulnerability. And what I love, again, other than my mantra of it's sunny in lane seven, <laughs> I won a different race today. Gosh, I put so many things in perspective. I won a different race today. Because even as I share the story where I had a terrible game, but this black woman and her daughter came up to me and told me I was her daughter's favorite player. And in my mind, I'm like, there's absolutely no way. Did you see <laughs> Did you see that performance? And she said, my daughter's never seen someone that looks like her playing at this level. And now you're my daughter's favorite player. And, you know, now I feel like I can attach. I won a different race today. To me, mm-hmm. it was always like, it's bigger than me. But I won a different race that day. I won mm-hmm. a different game that day. Yep. Oh, Natasha, I think this has been an extremely inspirational, motivational. I've written down all of your nuggets and I'm (laughs) going to apply them to my specific sport so that I can be a champion on in whether I'm playing sport or in just in life, become a woman of confidence in sport and in life. I'm going to leave you guys with the quote of the week. Definitely inspired by Natasha. Failure is an attitude, not an outcome. The only true failure is an action. Everything else is just trial and error. And again, want to add on to this quote because I think Natasha gave us some things to think about. It is sunny in lane seven. Remember that. No matter what's going on around you, focus on your lane, what you have going on, controlling what you can control. Because if you tell yourself it's sunny in lane seven, it will be sunny in lane seven. Also, you are good enough. Regardless of what anyone else says, thinks, and or does, you are good enough. Be your own biggest cheerleader. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Natasha, where can everybody find you? Follow your journey to the Olympics. I'm real simple. Natasha Hastings, Instagram, Twitter, website, NatashaHastings.com. Natasha Hastings, thank you for having me. This is awesome. I really, really love what you're doing. You are amazing. And I hope we can do this again. I would love to do this again. I need more nuggets. I need, I love, <laughs> I need some nuggets because you were dropping some last week too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love talking with you, Natasha. Make sure everyone you go out and subscribe, download, rate and comment. Berry Breaking Women, BBW. I love all you BBWs. Follow me on social, AJ underscore Andrews underscore. Stay fabulous. Keep mellow winning. And I will catch you BBWs later. Bye.